and for all who ask the question, how can I keep my thoughts pure in this highly charged, sexualized society? It's hard for everyone. You've got to hate Hollywood's portrayal of what God intended to be good. What does the word love mean to you? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The contrast between God's perfect design of love between a man and a woman and Hollywood's examples of love couldn't be more different. So which one are we more influenced by? Here's David with the second section of a message called The Birds and the Bees. We'll go to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, which says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The unseen seer sees all. There's nothing we do privately. There's nothing that escapes his gaze. So you have to ask yourself the question, with oral sex outside of marriage, is God pleased when he sees it? There's only one person who should have access to that part of your body, and that is your wife or husband in marriage. Be holy, God said. Be different, as I am holy and I am different. Next question, well, what's the big deal if no one's hurt? The truth is, God's will for all of our lives is that we be one flesh in that marriage relationship unless he's called us to being single. That's another message for another time. But in marriage, God wants us to be one flesh in a unified relationship with our spouse. And whenever you have any kind of sexual relationship outside of that marriage relationship, Studies even show it in today's contemporary scientific culture that a part of you is left upon that person and a part of that person is left upon you. You are literally stripping a part of yourself on another person. That's why, again, the idea of casual sex is an oxymoron from God's perspective, like jumbo shrimp. It's an impossibility. When you have intercourse with somebody a part of you is left with that person. A part of that person is left with you. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 said, don't even sleep with a prostitute because don't you understand? The two become one flesh. If God's goal is a unified oneship with you and your spouse where you learn how to serve and to give and to care and to love for the other person, when you're stripping away yourself with someone else, you're stripping away your ability to love. That's a big deal. And one of the prophecies of Paul in the New Testament as Jesus approaches his second coming is people will forget how to love because they'll not know the depth of meaning of what love really is. Dear friends, my dad and mom were married 63 years. They knew each other 68 years. In the last 17 years of her life, she had a vicious, slowly progressive form of Alzheimer's. It slowly but surely stripped her of her personality. In the last five years of their marriage, she did not know who my dad was. And yet, my dad faithfully and lovingly 
went to see her every single day, often stroking her hand and saying to her, I love you, Helen. I love you, Helen. And she didn't even know who he was. That's love. Not Hollywood. That's love. And do you think that had a profound impression upon this young man watching it? What's the big deal? The big deal is learning how to love as Jesus has loved us. Well, everyone else is doing it, David. <laughs> well, I'll give you the answer my mom and dad always gave me. Son. Well, that was my dad's voice, okay? All right. Son, if all of your friends are jumping off a bridge, will you jump off the bridge? Any of your parents ever say that to you? Yeah. Well, here's the question. Who's informing your sexual worldview? Your peers or the word of God? That question suggests your peers define your worldview. And how sad that is, because their views will change according to their own whims and fancies. Why is porn wrong? Well, porn is wrong because it promotes selfishness. It's a problem mostly with men, although there's a niche market now for women too. Basically, in a private environment, you men mostly are saying to a celluloid model, meet my needs. Take care of me. I'll ask nothing of you. Just be there always for me. It's an addiction that controls the brain, guys. It is horrifying and will destroy you, your marriage, and your kids. It's the first step toward the rapidly proliferating problem worldwide called sex trafficking. You dry up the demand, you dry up the supply. Men stop watching porn, sex trafficking goes away, period. Also, when men do this, you're never concerned with your personal hygiene, your physical appearance, or your moral character. In the eyes of yourself, you simply have someone meeting your needs, which is selfishness, which is contrary to the call to love that Jesus has given his world. Get help. Have accountability. Rid yourself of this horrible addiction. But the best thing to do is nip it in the bud. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will put no unholy thing before it. Job 31.1, memorize it and make a commitment that you'll put nothing unholy before your eyes because that's where it all begins, is with the first gaze. Why is cohabitation wrong? Answer, Genesis 2.24. Remember, leave, cleave, then the sexual union. The sexual union follows the vows made publicly. Now, I understand why cohabitation has become such a huge 
issue in our culture since the 1980s. People of my generation did not keep their vows. Their marriages broke apart. So their children are saying, I'm going to make sure before I get married. At least ostensibly, that's what they say. But here's what's really happening is for most guys, girls, don't you understand that if we can get the goodies without the commitment, we'll take it. And the divorce rate among those who've cohabitated is twice the national average, which is at 50%. Why? Because any sexual encounter, any living together without a covenant commitment between the man and the wife is doomed to failure. So if you're presently living together, may I adjure you to be holy as I am holy. And some of you are gulping right now going, how can we make it financially? Here's what I've learned through the years. Where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. And couple after couple after couple have seen this happen. They move apart. They make vows to purity and chastity. They date each other and do it as God intended. Then they come together in a public ceremony of wedding, and then they express their sexuality thereafter. And everyone has said it has helped our lives to understand purity and holiness before God. But I'm a divorced single. I mean, David, come on. Are you expecting me, after I've known human sexuality and the divorce has happened, to be faithful and not have that again until I'm married? Answer, yes. Why? Genesis 2.24. Genesis 2.24 does not say, leave, cleave, then sex, except for those of you who've been divorced. You get a pass. No. In fact, God would say, the next time, do it even more so God's way, for his glory and his glory alone. God intended sex within marriage between a man and a woman. That is his will. Be holy as I am holy. Any comments, David, to the way girls dress? Well, I'm glad you asked. Thank you so much. For some of you girls, you need to know that Jesus put into all of the scriptures teaching one sentence. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might, and your neighbor as yourself. Gals, you need to know that for us men, it is a huge struggle. Our libido, especially when we're younger, rampages against our souls. You love us. You love your neighbor when you dress modestly. Now, am I suggesting you dress frumpily? No. You can dress stylistically, fashionably. Just keep in mind that the way you dress loves your neighbor or doesn't, especially those of us who are trying to follow Christ in every way. For couples, you say to me, our sex life is dull. What shall we do? And I'm hearing this more and more from couples. First of all, you may need to get counseling. But secondly, you need to realize sex is the result of everything else that's happened in your life. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, there's a suggestion, and studies have proven it to be true sociologically, that great sex happens when couples learn to pray together. Why? Because sex is merely the expression of intimacy that you've known together. 
Great sex in couples' lives happens not in the morning, literally, but in the morning when they begin to relate together. As they care for one another and serve one another and love one another, the expression of that love is then naturally a good sex life. So what is going on in your life that has driven you apart from intimacy with one another? That's the real question. And then go to 1 Corinthians 7, 4 through 5. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you are to take a season apart from one another, do it to increase your prayer life. But then come back together because you don't want to let Satan have opportunities to tempt you beyond your own self-control. But realize, gals, first of all, your body, when you married your husband, belongs to him, not to be abused. No. But to be given freely to him as an act of servanthood. When your libido is not great, you're too tired, you still do that to care and serve him. Guys, you do the same for your wives. Because marriage is the PhD of serving. It's learning how to give your life to another person. It's learning how, in Jesus' words in Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. Marriage is the place where God teaches men and women how to serve one another. Have you figured it out yet? Men and women are terribly different. Anybody deny that? That's why God intended the marriage relationship to be between a man and a woman, not with someone like ourselves, but someone who's totally different than ourselves so we can learn how to serve and not be served, to give our lives away. That's God's intent with the intimate relationship. Be holy as I am holy. And for all who ask the question, how can I keep my thoughts pure in this highly charged, sexualized society? It's hard. It's hard for this preacher. It's hard for everyone. But here are some thoughts. First of all, you've got to hate sin. You've got to hate Hollywood's portrayal of what God intended to be good. You must hate how it's been abused and misused in our culture. And you've got to hate for what it's done you in your own personal life, stripping you of your ability to love and to serve. You've got to hate it. Remember I've used the illustration before when I was a kid and I ate beets and I threw up all night long? I still hate beets to this day. If I get near a beet, if I smell a beet, if you put it in my juice drink and I taste it, I get nauseous to this day. You've got to hate sinfulness in sexual areas like I hate beets. You can't tolerate it. You can't put up with it. You can't coddle it. You can't nudge it. You can't flirt with it. You've got to hate it. That's the first step and what it's done to you and our society. Secondly, though, you've got to love something more. You've got to love something more. And I think that's Jesus. The only way I've ever seen people delivered from an addiction is to love Jesus more than the addiction. Some of you men say to me sometimes, I just can't stop. The addiction's too strong. (laughs) 
and I always ask you, well, if you're watching the porn scene right there, and let's say somebody walks in and says, hey, I'll give you $10 million to stop, would you stop? Of course you would. Why? There was a greater motivation. Well, I stop, and many other men have stopped, and other gals have stopped. Why? They hate the problem, but they also know personally the one who has paid not a $10 million, but a $50 billion debt for their sins to be forgiven. And in response to that great love, they love him more than the addiction and start moving toward his health and wholeness. Third, remember there's an unseen seer. He sees everything. And finally, develop a fear of the Lord. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. I want to be wise. There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge just knows facts. Wisdom is the practical application of the knowledge. Wisdom begins with a fear of the Lord, not a retributive fear that God's out to get me, but a holy, awesome respect for who God is. What does that mean? That one day, we'll all appear before him. And he will hold us accountable for our lives. He will hold us accountable for our sexual lives. Will that make a difference in how you choose to behave? Dear friends, none of us is immune from this problem. And we have something in the Christian tradition in the church called the Lord's Table that gives us a chance to receive grace. It's the heart of the Christian faith. And we can come to Jesus and his grace will wash over all of our sin and give us a chance to begin again, fresh, new, holy for his glory. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with a conversation about the benefits of a broken heart. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, David, in this morning's e-devotions, you say, we sometimes need a dress rehearsal before the main performance. I'd love to hear more on this. Oh, my dad. He gave me this one. But during a downtime in my life, I had met this girl, and I thought she was the one. We were dating for a while, and then she rejected me. Jen, can you imagine anybody rejecting somebody as nice as I am. I can't even think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I went home after that very negative encounter with her, and I shared my heart with my dad, a very heavy heart, and he looked at me and he said, son, sometimes you need a dress rehearsal before the main performance. Mm -hmm. He was basically telling me she's obviously not the one, but maybe God used that as a way to prepare you for that next one who is the one. Mm -hmm. Well, about two years later, I met Marilyn on a blind date, and we fell in love quickly. We got married after nine months of only knowing one another. I broke every rule in telling couples, give it the test of time. But, you know, we just knew that we knew that we knew. And interestingly, we just celebrated our 43rd year of marriage together. So it's worked out very well. She's the love of my life. She's my best friend, the mother of my three children with eight grandchildren now. She is just a wonderful, good godly woman. She's amazing. And what hit me as I thought about our 43 years together, if I'd married this other girl, I don't think I'd have had nearly the love and affection I've had with Marilyn, plus all the other blessings in life. So my dad was absolutely accurate when he said to me after I was rejected, you know, son, sometimes you need a dress rehearsal for the main performance. Mm -hmm. And it was such for me. I learned a lot about myself in that rejection, realized that rejection's God's protection, as I've Mm -hmm. said before, Mm -hmm. on one of these moments together. Mm -hmm. Also that God's rejection is his redirection. He has another plan for our lives. So in that experience, Jen, I realized Romans 8, 28 truly is accurate. Mm -hmm. That all things, not some things or most things, but all things work together for good. If you really love God and you're trying to serve him, he's working everything together for our good and his glory. Mm -hmm. This is a perfect example of it. At the time, I was shattered, devastated, rejected, But in the long term, looking back, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. It prepared me for marriage like I would have never known before. This is so good and so practical. You know, we can apply this principle to a job. You know, sometimes sometimes we think we landed the job and then it doesn't last as long as we thought. And really, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I can speak from personal experience. I am sitting here today with you and our listeners because of this experience in my life. It, mm. it led, that rejection from something led to this. And mm. I, I'm so grateful for how God works in our lives like that. Well, Jen, it sometimes takes time in retrospect, yeah. looking back, seeing how God was working, uh, but he does work all things together for good. But it is only for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we need to continue to remind our listeners that all things don't work together for good for those who don't love God mm-hmm. and aren't working for his purposes. But when you love him with all your heart and you're trying your best to serve him. Yes, indeed, everything, all things work together for our good and his glory. That's an eternal biblical promise 
from his heart to ours. That is so good. Thank you so much for sharing this today. Yeah, thank you, everyone. And if you've gone through a rejection, continue to trust God. These are the kinds of e-blasts I want to send to your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. If you'd like to have these regularly, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They're free of charge from my heart to yours to begin your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for rest and refreshment for our teachers. 